welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Crown on the application of Majira and Secretary of State for the Home Department. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 46. And this is an immigration case, but it also involves questions that have constitutional significance and so should be of interest to public law students as well. Mr Majira, the appellant in this case, is originally from Rwanda, but came to the UK as a child and so he was granted indefinite leave to remain. However, in 2006 he was convicted of serious offences, and so it was recommended that he be deported back to Rwanda. The deportation order was not made until 2012, and was never actually implemented, so an application in 2015 to revoke the order did not actually ever receive a decision. This may have been because in early 2015, Majira was released on licence, but the Home Department decided to detain him under Schedule 3, Paragraph 2 of the Immigration Act 1971, pending his removal from the UK. In response, Majira applied to the First Tier Tribunal for bail under Schedule 2, Paragraph 22 of the same Act. The judge there decided that he should be released on bail, but on the condition that he report to his offender manager and abide by the other conditions of his licence. The problem was that the judge made an error because the bail order did not require him to appear before an immigration officer at a specified time and place, even though this is a requirement under paragraph 221a. Anyway, later on in 2015, an immigration officer got in touch with Majira to say that the Secretary of State has decided to impose conditions on his release, including a curfew, and a prohibition on him working in a charity shop, even though the judge specifically declined to make such a prohibition part of the bail conditions. Majira challenged these new conditions from the Home Office, but that challenge was rejected and so a judicial review was brought with the argument that the Secretary of State could not impose conditions that the tribunal itself had declined to order. While the government conceded that the curfew conditions should be relaxed, They stood by the prohibition on voluntary work on the basis that the bail order made in the tribunal was legally defective because it did not include the requirement to appear before an immigration officer in accordance with paragraph 221a. As such, the bail order was void. The upper tribunal disagreed with that assessment and held that Majira remained on bail in line with the original order. The judge noted that it was unlikely to be the intention of Parliament that a defect in a bail order should render it void, and even though the bail order was defective, it was still valid and remained in force. When the case got to the Court of Appeal, they reversed this decision and agreed with the Secretary of State that the bail order was indeed null and void. Majira appealed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. To understand this issue, the justices had to examine the legal effect of unlawful decisions. The core idea is that if an unlawful decision is not challenged before a court, then it remains in effect, and it is impossible for such a decision to be described as void independently of a court. In fact, there is much more nuance involved than saying a decision is either valid or void, because it may be the case that a court decides that an order is defective but retains some legal effect either through common law or at the discretion of the court. 
This is the mistake that the Court of Appeal made as well through their reliance on the cases of Hoffman LaRoche from 1975 and Boddington and British Transport Police from 1999. The problem was that while Hoffman LaRoche and Boddington are to do with subordinate legislation and administrative acts, this case is concerned with court orders. In his lead judgment, Lord Reed pointed out that since the 1846 case of Chuck and Creamer, quote, it is a well-established principle of our constitutional law that a court order must be obeyed unless and until it has been set aside or varied by the court, end quote. In fact, the justice pointed to a passage from that old case that is worth quoting in full. It says, quote, A party who knows of an order, whether null or void, regular or irregular, cannot be permitted to disobey it. It would be most dangerous to hold that the suitors or their solicitors could themselves judge whether an order was null or valid, whether it was regular or irregular. That they should come to the court and not take upon themselves to determine such a question. That the course of a party knowing of an order which was null or irregular and who might be affected by it was plain. He should apply to the court that it might be discharged. As long as it existed, it must not be disobeyed. End quote. From this paragraph, three key things were extracted. Firstly, there is clearly a legal duty to follow a court order that has not been set aside. Secondly, the reason for this is based in the rule of law. And thirdly, even though it might seem completely paradoxical, orders that are technically null are to be obeyed until they are set aside. This approach has been confirmed more recently in the case of the Crown on the application of Evans, an Attorney General from 2015, where it was decided that the last body that should be able to set aside a court order is the executive branch of government. Taking all of this into account, the invalidity of the original order by the first tier tribunal is of no consequence and should still have been obeyed by the Secretary of State. It also means that the alleged invalidity was not a good defence to Majira's application for judicial review. And in fact, the justices went on to conclude that it was not appropriate for the Home Department to challenge the order by way of a defence to a judicial review. Instead, the appeal should have been adjourned and the government should have applied to amend the order. This would have had the advantage that other factors could have been considered, such as any prejudice that might have been suffered by Mr Majira upon the change of the original order. Those factors were also something that the Court of Appeal failed to take into account. Overall, I think that this case is an important reminder about the central role played by the separation of powers in the UK Constitution. The executive branch and the judicial branch have their own roles, and the Home Office cannot use its authority to rewrite an order of the court. It is not uncommon to see Pretty Patel in the media blaming do-good lawyers for stymieing her plans, but then her own department will breach the law in a flagrant way by ignoring or rewriting a court order. There is a simple solution that the government could follow if it wants to get lawyers and judges off its back. Stop breaking the law. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. 
If that sounds like something you are interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!